The following message was recorded as part of the morning worship celebration of Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church in Eatonton, Georgia. More information about the ministries, staff, and worship offerings of Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church can be found on our website at www.lopc-pca.org. This morning, if you will take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Galatians and the fifth chapter, we'll be reading verses 22 through verses 23. And also be reading 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 13 through verses 16. I want to ask you to stand with me, if you would, as we read the Word of God. I remind you that this is the infallible, inerrant, holy Word of God that we're about to hear this morning. And the first passage will be from Galatians chapter 5. In verses 22 through verses 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. First Peter chapter 1 and verses 13 and following. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on what is to be given you when Christ Jesus is revealed. And as obedient children, do not be conformed to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy... So be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the word of God and for those that are here to hear. We pray that these words would fall upon hearts that are receptive to them. We pray, God, just for repentance, for forgiveness. For the work of your spirit to work in and through us this morning. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. It's in the 1960s that a psychologist from Stanford University conducted conducted a study on self-control involving a class of four-year-olds. Now, the children were told that they could have a single treat, a marshmallow. They could have it right now. They could choose to eat it if they wanted to. However, the teacher had to run an errand. And if they could wait until the teacher got back from the errand, which would be approximately 20 minutes, they could have a second marshmallow. It is interesting to see the results of that study. To sustain themselves in their struggle, there were those children who refused to eat the first marshmallow. Some of them, as immediately as it hit the desk, swallowed it whole. There was no self-control. 
But for those who waited, it was interesting to observe the study in that how they reacted. Some of them, waiting for the teacher to return, put their head down on the desk. Others covered their eyes with their hands so they would not see the temptation. Others tried to go to sleep to resist the temptation. Various ways that they would try to even sing to keep their minds off eating that particular marshmallow in front of them. The interesting thing is that 20 years later, those same children were studied again. And the results were this. Those that had delayed gratification in pursuing their goals, they were more socially competent, self-assertive, and better able to cope with life's frustrations. In contrast, those children who grabbed the one marshmallow were, as adults, more likely to be stubborn, indecisive, and stressed. Fascinating, isn't it? This morning, we're going to wrap up the final sermon in the series of the fruit of the Spirit. And we're going to be looking at the last virtue of the fruit of the Spirit, and that is self-control. Self-control. I think it's interesting that as you look at the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22... Paul lists them for us. Here are the virtues. Remind you, this is a package deal. He doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. The fruit, singular. It comes in a package. He says love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and yes, self-control. Look at it this way. Joy and faithfulness really pertain more to our relationship with God. But peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness, they involve our relationships with one another. And then there's love, which is listed first, which also involves not only relationships with one another, but our relationship to God. And then there's self-control. That only relates to you or to me. Interesting how he ends with this one, isn't it? And so this morning we're going to look at self-control as a virtue of the fruit of the Spirit. Now when the Greeks thought of self-control, they would design or craft a statue of some person, male or female, that had a perfect figure, muscular, zero fat proportion, strength everywhere. And that was their idea of someone who was self-controlled. To them, self-control was proper ordering and balancing of that individual in all aspects of their life. Aristotle once said this, he said, I count him braver who overcomes his desires than him who conquers his enemies. For the hardest victory is the victory over self. Wow. 
Plato said it this way. He believed that our animal urges must be governed or else they will produce a feverish state in the soul, what he called a city of pigs, which knows no limits. What a word picture that is, isn't it? The word that's used here in the New Testament for the word self-control, the King James translation uses the term temperance. And it comes from a word which means strength or one who holds himself in. One who is able to not live in bondage to his desires or to his passions or to his appetites of the flesh. It's one who is able to control those things. Now, as we look at the subject this morning of self-control, as Christians, we have to look at it biblically and understand it's really not self-control. It's Holy Spirit control. Because if you look at the context of Galatians 5, one of the things you see here in verse 16 is the Apostle Paul says this, So I say, live by the Spirit. What Spirit? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that resides within you as a Christian. He says, let that Holy Spirit guide you, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For these things are in contrary one to another. The sinful nature versus that of the the Christian's filling of the Holy Spirit. And then he says in verse 18, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. What's Paul saying here? That as Christians, this Holy Spirit that lives within us should be controlling us. We should be filled with this Spirit. We should not succumb to those things of the world. Now, how do we do that? Well, if you'll turn with me to Galatians chapter 9, I want to give you a word picture from the Scriptures Remember, in Corinth, they had athletic events. It was a precursor to the Olympian uh, events. And uh, in chapter 9, Paul compares the Christian life to that of a race. And he says that if you're a Christian, you're in the race. But here's the picture, chapter 9 in verse 24 and following. He says, do you not know that in a race... All the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as you get the prize. In other words, run with diligence. Run with self-control. Run to finish the race. Verse 25, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do not get the crown That will not last, but we for the crown that will last forever. They run for temporal things. I was interested as I watched the Olympics just a few months ago, and I watched the sprinters who came out onto the track, and I couldn't help but notice that none of them weighed over 300 pounds. That's funny. They were slim and trim, and I mean, they were been training all their lives for those few moments that were ahead of them. 
they understood something about discipline, about training, about mastering their own body and running a race to win it, not just finish it. That's what Paul's saying about the Christian faith. And notice verse 25. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Why? For the crown. Not for the one that will perish, but for the one that will not perish, the one in heaven. Did you know that the Olympic medal that our athletes trained so hard for and, and won more gold medals than any other country in all the world is not a solid gold medal? It's been estimated that the value of that gold medal is only a little over $600. It's temporary. Paul is saying, go for something much bigger, much greater, that which is in the kingdom of God that never, ever will fade away. And then he says, verse 26, Therefore, I don't run like a man who runs aimlessly. I've got a purpose. I know what it is. I'm lined up here on the track and I know where the goal is. And it is to please the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, therefore, I don't run aimlessly as though I have no purpose. And I don't fight like a man beating the air. I've got a target. I've got a goal. I know what my purpose is. I'm self-controlled. No, verse 27, I beat my body. I literally buffet my body and I make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself might not be qualified, disqualified for the prize. Self-control. Self-control in running the race of the Christian life. Proverbs gives us a different different definition. I would like for you to turn with me, if you would, to the book of Proverbs in the 25th chapter. Because we're going to look at some different scenarios of being self-controlled. First of all, in chapter 25, verse 28. By the way, the, the, the book of Proverbs is such a wonderful book. If you haven't read it recently, I would encourage you to do that. I encourage you to take a proverb per day. There are 31 of them. And it's a great way to just learn uh, the Proverbs. Chapter 25, verse 28. Listen to what Solomon says here. He says, like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. Well, how does that relate? The city is protected by the walls. The security of that city is dependent upon the walls being in proper form. A city that has walls in disrespair is a city with a shameful reputation. And he is comparing that to self-control. That may have been why Nehemiah was so interested in getting the wall built around the temple from the Old Testament. Because it was a shame not to have the wall rebuilt and protection. And, and, and Solomon is saying here, a person that's not self-controlled is like a city that's wide open to whatever may come. 
Do you have control body? What are your desires? As a Christian, are they under the impulse of the Holy Spirit leading and guiding you, or are they under the flesh? Uh, let me give you a couple of word pictures from Proverbs to think about. Proverbs chapter 23. Would you turn there with me and verse 4. Uh, this would be a real test of our hearts this morning. Chapter 23, verse 4. He says this. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Have self-control. What's he saying? Well, first of all, he's not saying that it's wrong to be wealthy. He doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say that. It just says if that's the ambition of your life, you're on the wrong track. You're in the wrong race. And notice in verses 26 and 27, he warns us against sexual perversion. Proverbs 23 and verse 26. My son, give me your heart. Let your eyes keep my ways. For the prostitute is a deep pit and a wayward wife is a narrow well. Like a bandit, she lies in wait and multiplies the unfaithful among men. He's saying, be self-controlled. Avoid these pitfalls. Understand that the temptations may come. Notice with me in verses 29 and following. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Who's he talking about? Verse 30, those who linger over wine or go to sample bowls of mixed wine. And again, the Bible doesn't say that it's wrong not to drink wine, but it's wrong to be controlled by that so that you are not self-controlled. The Holy Spirit's not controlling you, that the drink controls you. Turn with me, keep your finger there in Proverbs because we're going to come back to that. But look with me in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15, verses 18 and following. Ephesians 5. Here Paul draws an analogy. And he says this, Ephesians 5 verse 18 and following. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit control you so that these other things don't control you. And he says here, that as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, then we're going to do what God wants us to do in word, in thought, and in deed. Not to get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. The word debauchery there is a Greek word which literally means to be completely ruined. That's what he is. He says, this can ruin you. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
let the Holy Spirit dwell within you and control you to the point that you manifest the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. What about in the area of not just mastering ourselves, but what about in the area of anger, for instance, self-control and anger? Did you know the Bible talks about a righteous anger and an unrighteous anger? There are times that the Christian is to be angry. And to be angry about the right things under the right conditions is not sinful. For instance, let me give you some examples from the scripture where Jesus was angry. When he went into the Sabbath and he saw a man with a crippled hand and he knew the Pharisees were watching to see what he would do. He became angry, and, and, and they were only out to put him in the wrong. Jesus was angry with the Pharisees. Or, for instance, when he came into the temple and he cleared the temple, and he saw those who were selling the, the, the doves and, and the goats in the temple for enormous price, he became angry and he cleared the temple. Or, for instance, in Mark chapter 10, when Jesus uh, came to the little children and the disciples tried to, tried to send the mothers and the little children away, and Jesus was angry with the disciples on that point. That's a righteous anger. But often in the Bible, the Bible doesn't speak about righteous anger as much as it speaks about unrighteous anger. And that is the anger of selfishness. If you'll turn back to Proverbs, I'd like to show you a couple of other verses from Proverbs about unrighteous anger. And again, this relates to self-control again. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 11. And we're going to go backwards here for a minute, but we'll start in chapter 29, verse 11. Listen to what he says. A fool gives full vent to his anger. But a wise man keeps himself under control. Wow. That's difficult, isn't it? Self-control. In the heat of the moment, to be able to not react, but to respond. Look with me, if you would, in Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 33. About anger. For as churning the milk produces butter, and as twisting the nose produces blood, so stirring up anger produces strife. You see the analogy there? Some of you have churned butter before. You know what that's like to take that handle and Put it down into that milk and go up and down, up and down, up and down, and keep on, keep on, keep on till you're tired. And then all of a sudden you realize this is actually becoming butter, but it takes effort. Or the other picture is that of the nose. Irritating your nose to the point of twisting it and pulling it in whatever direction to the point it is becomes so irritated that it begins to bleed. <laughs> Notice what he says here. Stirring up anger produces strife. Milk will turn to butter. 
a nostril that's irritated will eventually turn to blood. Anger, if it keeps on, will turn to strife. Turn with me, if you will, to Proverbs 22 and verse 24. Another word picture. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered man, one who cannot exercise self-control. Do not associate with one easily angered. Why? Verse 25, you'll learn to be like him. And you catch yourself being ensnared. Wow. Got to be careful. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of James. And let's look at another word picture because James gives us something from the New Testament that as I was thinking and praying through this, it's quite convicting for me. James chapter 1, verses 19 through verses 21. My dear friends, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Now, in the original language, it literally reads this. That everyone should not be quick to listen, slower to speak, and even slower to become angry. There is a progression that's there that you can't pick out in the English But in the original language, it's very clear. You know what he's saying here? We're to be quick to listen. You know how hard it is when someone comes to you and they're talking and you just think, I've just got to tell them what I think. I I think that they're more interested in what I have to tell them than I am interested in what they have to tell me. That's a hard thing. That's self-control, isn't it? Especially if they go on and on and on. You know what I'm talking about. And he says here that we are to be quick to listen. And then he says, we're to be slow to speak. And that's a challenge, isn't it? Because when someone comes to us and they're telling us things, we, we, we think we've got to come back and respond to what they've said and put our two cents into the conversation. Rather than being quick to listen. And then he says, based on that, it's possible for us to even become angry in what we hear. I'm reminded of that uh, story that Abraham Lincoln told about his Secretary of War, Edwin Stanton. One day, one of the soldiers in the army came to Secretary of War, Edwin Stanton, and accused him of favoritism. And it made Stanton extremely angry. And he went and he told Lincoln, and Lincoln suggested that he write a letter to that soldier and just tell it to him face to face. Just tell him off. Just let him have it, as we say. Give him both barrels. So Stanton went back to his office, and he took that piece of paper and a pen, and he just wrote a fiery letter to that soldier. 
And he brought it back to Lincoln, and he said, would you read it over? He said, I'd like to get your comments. Lincoln read it, and he looked at Stanton, and he said, this is an excellent utter. It expresses everything that you want to say. And then he said to Stanton, what are you going to do with it? Stanton said, I'm going to go over there and deliver it to him immediately. And Lincoln said, throw it in the fire. He said, it would not serve the purpose. That's self-control, isn't it? That's being under the pressure of understanding what it means to be godly controlled. James gives us another illustration. And if you look in chapter 1, verse 26 of his book, I'll give you these few comments from him. If anyone considers himself religious, does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself as religion is worthless. You ever noticed how the scriptures evaluate what we really believe by what we say? I mean, there it is. It, it's, it's worthless. And then he says here in chapter 3, he gives a lengthy illustration of this in verses 1 through verses 12 because he gives some, gives some examples. The first example he gives is in verse 2. We stumble in many ways. Everybody does. Nobody has the perfect tongue. We all have sinned and fallen short in that regard. We're all guilty. But he says if anybody has not done that, they would be a perfect man. Well, that doesn't exist except Jesus. And he gives two illustrations in verses 3 and following. He says, we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us. Now, this is an animal weighing of 1,200 or more pounds usually. Powerful animal. You put this little metal piece in its mouth and you take the reins and if you bring them to the left, he'll turn left. And if you bring them to the right, he turns right. And if you, and if you tell him to get up and go, he will get up and go. And that little piece of instrument that's in his mouth controls him. And he gives a second illustration. He says, look at the great ships that are out on the sea. They're huge. What is it that controls them? In comparison, a very small rudder guides them where they're supposed to go. The analogy here is the tongue is such a small thing, and yet it is so powerful. Notice he says in verse 9, This tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the image of God. He says, this should never be. <laughs> I'm reminded of that cemetery in England that there is this gravestone, and on the gravestone is an epitaph, and it read this. Beneath this stone, a lump of clay, lies Arabella Young. On the 24th day of May, she began to hold her tongue. <laughs> Benjamin Franklin said this, A slip of the foot 
you may soon recover, but a slip of the tongue you may never get over. Think of it. There's an Indian proverb that was asked about the tongue, and he said the tongue is like a a a pile of feathers piled up outside the teepee. And when the wind blows, those are like words that go everywhere and can't be retrieved. All of us fall short of that. And, and James is saying here, we can't control this, but the Holy Spirit can. That's his point. That's the self-control of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, how do we do that? What are the means of that? Well, if you'll turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, I'll give you a couple of points that I think may help. Galatians 5. And notice in verses 16 and 17, there is the sins of the flesh. Those who don't live by the Spirit. Those that are the non-Christians, I think he's talking about. Some would disagree and say, no, these are Christians. But their life is dominated by this. And he says, if you live by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Why is that? Notice verse 17. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. So they are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Well, what are those things that are happened that, that we don't want to do? Notice verse 19. They're obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, and drunkenness, or, orgies, and the like. It's not even a complete list. He says, I could go on and on. As I warn you that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Notice the word acts is plural there. These are individual things. And then he contrasts that in verse 22. But he said, the fruit singular of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. You know, what Paul is saying here is the necessity if to see the fruit of the Spirit manifested in our lives. We have to be filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit reigning within us, controlled by the Holy Spirit, not yielding to the deeds of the flesh. He says in verse 25, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. That means let's live according to, as Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit. As you look over these nine virtues that are listed here in Galatians 5.22, which one really stands out to you? Or which ones, should I say, really stand out to you? Is it love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness? Gentleness, self-control. Which is God speaking to you about? Because he desires for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit, 
to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Would you pray with me? Father, would you help us in our struggle as Christians, knowing that we are so imperfect, knowing that we have all fallen short, knowing that we do so in word and thought and deed daily. But yet, Father, you call us to live above the temptations of this world and to live as people who are holy. And I pray, Father, that we would be, as a people of God, more and more in line with your word, a people who demonstrate, live by the Spirit, of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that convicts us, for the Holy Spirit that gives us the power. It's all of your grace, not of anything that we bring, but totally by your grace. We thank you. Thank you for the encouragement of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.